The president stumps for Democrats, but can he help? From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Joe Hallett, senior editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Karen Kassler, Statehouse Bureau Chief for Ohio Public Radio and Television. Democratic strategist Michael Cole. And Gene Krebs of the Greater Ohio Policy Center. President Obama's coattails may have become a cloud over Democrats. The president's approval rating in Ohio has been in the mid-40s for months, but Ted Strickland, Lee Fisher, and Mary Jo Kilroy joined him for a backyard meeting this week in Clintonville. The president met with a Columbus family and its neighbors during the hour-long meeting. He answered friendly questions. He said the stimulus program is working, and he maintained the economy is improving, albeit slowly. Virtuous uh, cycle where people start feeling better and better about the economy. And a lot of it's sort of like recovering from an illness. You get a little bit of stronger each day and you take a few more steps each day. And, and that's where our economy's at right now. With Ohio's unemployment rate still above 10%, Republicans are still criticizing the governor. Lieutenant Governor candidate Mary Taylor blamed Strickland for the job loss, calling him an incompetent administrator. Joe Hallett, what impact is Barack Obama having on Ohio voters, do you believe? Well, the question of whether he can help, the answer is a definite yes and no. He uh, can help energize the, re the Democratic base. There is a definite enthusiasm gap right now. Uh, Republicans are far more energized, and Obama not only energizes Democrats, but he energizes Republicans. The, the question is, what's he do for independence? And right now, the Republicans are winning the propaganda battle with, with incumbents who are not enamored of the Obama policies. What we began to hear this, w this week when Obama was here, we heard it at a um, fundraiser for Strickland. The entire statewide Democratic Party was on the same message as Strickland and Obama. And that is, remember the past, because if Republicans are elected, you will relive it the policies of George Bush will come back. And that seems to be the way they're headed right now, the Democrat strategy is. Will it work? It's been two years. It will be two years since people had a choice between George Bush and Barack Obama. Can they still blame the former president? I think so. I think uh, in many instances you can not only blame the former president, but also even looking at Ohio as a state, uh, blame the former administration. Um, you had 16 years of Republican regime here in the state of Ohio. And uh, I mean, manufacturing, all these, all this job loss. It was, you know, some 280,000 jobs lost before Governor Strickland ever even took office during this whole election period that took place in 2006. So I, I think that we do need to remember the past. Well, that's certainly the message that the Democrats have been using in this governor's race, uh, the idea of Wall Street and trying to tie John Kasich to that. I think there's an effort as well to try to tie him to policies that created this. And, you, of course, you see that in the Senate campaign as well, where there's an attempt to tie Rob Portman to the Bush administration since he was Bush's budget director and, and try to make that work. To Gene, to Michael's point, mm -hmm. do voters even remember who Bob Taft was? Um, <laughs> can we really blame him? Well, it, it goes to the issue of how good our memories actually are. And, um, you know, for the other three gentlemen here around the table, without looking down, tell me what colors your ties are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's because we tend to, we move on. Mm -hmm. 
And the question is, has there been enough happening? I mean, we've had enough other trauma, the oil well in the Gulf of Mexico, enough other stuff that happens is that this stuff starts to fade from memory. And unfortunately, with the 24-7-365 news cycle, you know, we're in, everything, you know, well, you know, already I'm going to say that people have stopped talking about the Gulf oil disaster as much as they were two weeks ago. I think Gina's right. Campaigns are always about the future. And Ohioans want to hear about the future, particularly what these candidates for governor are going to do uh, on the job front. So far, we haven't heard much about that. So uh, there will be the ba uh, blame game going on. Casey's going to get tagged with Wall Street. Strickland's going to get tagged with the loss of uh, 360,000 jobs on his watch. But folks are still wondering, okay, what are you guys going to do for me? Is energizing the base enough in a midterm election? Will the independents come out in, in well, droves like they did in 2008? Energizing the base at least gets you the fundraising money that you yeah. need to get the message out. So if indeed there was a question about whether uh, Obama was energizing the base, he still got a couple hundred, what, five or six hundred people to the fundraiser, and that helps bring the message. And then Joe Biden's going to be in town bringing another you know, however many people. So that does help. But to your point of whether the base, the base is going to come out no matter what. It's, it's mm. reaching those people in the middle, and, and I, I wonder so sure if that's where the TV ads and the radio ads will come in. You know, I, I agree with you to an extent, but I add the argument that energizing the base is one thing, but getting them to come out is an entirely different thing. I think the biggest concern in this race particularly is going to be drop-off and Democratic drop-off. That's how we're going to stay the regime. Bottom mm -hmm. line is mm -hmm. folks coming out. You mentioned earlier, Joe, mm -hmm. that you know you've got two people here. One group that's agitated, quite actually, mm -hmm. not just necessarily just energized, but they're agitated. And then we've got the base who we have, who we not only have to agitate to a certain extent, but at least keep them positively thinking about the future. There was another aspect to this visit that the national media play, paid a lot of attention to, and that is. Obama comes here because he needs to get Stric Strickland reelected for his own reelection in 2012. Well, I think they make too much of that because two years hence, whether we have Ted Strickland or John Kasich in office, whoever is governor is going to be immensely unpopular <laughs> because <laughs> we have an $8 billion budget hole that's going to Call, require tax increases and steep right. cuts in services, and the occupant of that office is going to be very unpopular. So I'm not so sure in two years Obama will want to be standing next to Ted Strickland. <laughs> okay, our next topic. The congressional races have not received as much attention because of the fierce governor's race, but indications are that more than a few Democrats perhaps face tough challenges keeping their seats. Mary Jo Kilroy barely won two years ago, and many feel she is among the most vulnerable Democrats in the country as she tries to best Steve Stivers again. Democrat Zach Space fairly easily won re-election two years ago in his very conservative district. Now he faces a much more difficult challenge. Michael Cole, Mary Jo Kilroy has had a target on her back since the day she was sworn in. How does she manage to win re-election? You know, I think one of the messages that can definitely energize the base with her is her fight for health care. You know, that, that initiative that she supported, that was the president's, and she got behind it, and it was a success. Um, I'm hoping that that'll turn positive dividends for her in, in terms of voter turnout. Do her constituents think health care is a success? 
there might be some you go to Madison, you know, County and some <laughs> other places that <laughs> that might feel a little differently yeah. about that. Yeah. But uh, I, I think here in her base, where you know, where it clearly is, she wanted, she wanted. I think that those folks can be easily reminded of her her advocacy for education, her advocacy for for health care, her advocacy for for workers' issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, she stands on the right side of the issues. I think it's important to remember that there were like 30,000 students from OSU campus who suddenly turned out two years ago to vote. The question is, will they come out again? And they were overwhelmingly voted for the D side of the ticket. I think you need to also look at the policies about this too. There are actually three Congress, incumbent Congress people right now, Democrats, um, um, and who are actually uh, very far ahead in their polls. And there are no danger at all. And they voted no on the Obamacare. They voted no on cap and trade. And they also voted no on the stimulus package. Um, Bobby Bright down in Alabama, Mississippi, Minnick out in Idaho, and I forget the third one. So it, it, it's the problem is, is that the Republican opponents have not been able to <laughs> gain traction against them because of the policies. Now, they vote with the Democrat, with Nancy Pelosi, 70% of the time. And the R's are trying to make the argument, well, you know, you vote for them, you s voting for Nancy again, but they're still up in their polls. You know, Steve Stivers and, and, and Mary Jo <laughs> seem to be kind of neck and neck in the polls. It looks like, you know, Mary Jo's leading by just a few points. There was one poll that had Stivers leading yeah. by a six. But they're within you know, the margin of error. Yeah, tied. right, it, it vacillates. But I, I think the key issue is, is one of the things that worked for her in the last election was the whole banking relationship that mm -hmm. Stivers has with that industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, this idea of Wall Street versus Main Street is still an issue here and more particularly in Ohio. The polls we're seeing in the congressional races uh, do not portend well for the Democrats. Uh, there's four uh, incumbent Democrats in trouble, Driehaus in Cincinnati, uh, Kilroy, um, Bocheri in the, in the uh, Youngstown area and uh, Betty Sutton up in the Canton area. And uh, the problem is that it shows greater Republican intensity and it shows independence breaking for the Republicans in a pretty big way. So the Democrats have a hill, hill to climb. Mm -hmm. Okay, in the midst of all of this politics, there is now some policy to debate. John Kasich this week proposed privatizing the Ohio Department of Development, turning its duties over to a private firm run by a panel of business executives. So as governor, I will take our economic development efforts out of the government and put them in a new not-for-profit corporation called Jobs Ohio. It will not be burdened with all these government regulations, all the red tape, all the restrictions. We're going to create a new vehicle. Now, the Strickland administration and the Strickland campaign says Kasich wants to farm out the state's business to corporate interests, which it says would amount to the fox guarding the hen house. Gene Krebs, will this help? solve Ohio's economic problem. First of all, I want to take all the politics out of this whole discussion here for a moment. A lot of states do this and do variations of it. And we're talking here states like Michigan, Rhode Island, Virginia's been doing it since 95. And I think the way to think about it is that, think of it more like a continuum. And um, there's recently an article in the Des Moines Register about this where one of their candidates out there is looking to do it. It's the Mitch Daniels syndrome as he goes out and talks to Republican candidates. They're all wanting to be, you know, looking at some of the issues he's done. Um, the article actually mentioned the third frontier in Ohio as being like a baby version of it. So I think when you look at this, look at it from 
you know, on a continuum. And then you have to get to the question of, is this going to really bust down the silos? Because if there's one problem we have in Ohio right now, is that we have too many silos for economic development. We believe at the state level, the state regional districts are not aligned properly with each other. And we do not have too, we, 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 we have too little economic development in Ohio, but we also have too much economic development bureaucracy. Are we need to fix this. Isn't there silos and bureaucracy in the private sector as well? Absolutely, even though they call themselves trying to trim the fat. My concern with this policy is it's like, you know, I said to my kids when they ask me, Daddy, Mommy, you know, uh, where are we going when we go on a trip? And I just say, hey, guys, just enjoy the ride. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's what his policy initiative reminds me of. Don't ask me any questions, just enjoy the ride. You know, that should be his campaign moniker. Where is the accountability in this plan? Where's, where's the answer to more jobs being lost in the Department of Development mm -hmm. or state jobs, period, that increases unemployment in the state of Ohio? And one, thing, one thing I noticed, too, about this, that there wasn't a dollar figure necessarily attached yeah. to this, where this would save X amount of money or this would be done in X fra time frame. So that was one question that I had when I heard about this. Well, the, the proposal reflects uh, John Kasich's philosophy, his absolute disdain for bureaucracy and his faith in the private sector. He wants to name C 12 CEOs to run this. Uh, and the, the issue of accountability is very real. Uh, and the issue of constitutionality is real constitution as well. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, you know, you have uh, a private entity, nonprofit entity, handing out state funds. And you have 12 CEOs. Uh, with the potential to hand them out to their yeah, friends, friends exactly. or, or, or not handing them out to competitors. Yeah. So there are a lot of questions to be answered about this proposal. Yeah. yeah, I looked at that conflict of interest. You have, I mean, there's inherent conflict of interest there. Where yes. I mean, if you have these broad sectors of the economy, you want to, you're going to be dealing with your competitors and your collaborators. So. I want to add to that though. Where are our lay folk in this? Where are workers? We think that the private sector and privatizing everything is just going to be the answer in accompaniment with laissez-faire politics. And then we forget to add the people that really matter as well to this component. And labor leaders, I, as, as much as labor is becoming you know, weaker and weaker here in the state of Ohio, the bottom line is, is we're still very much a labor state. And I didn't hear anything about having them at the table. Gene, is red tape really the reason why a, a company will not do business here? It's more than just the red tape, and we have stories about this. D by the way, the first thing we wanted to have this department do is get better data, because Ohio has a data vacuum on what works, what doesn't work, and everything like that. But we have stories about, you can fly into the Northern Kentucky Airport, and that afternoon leave with three signed MOUs, having contacted all three governmental entities you need to deal with. MOUs are memorandums of understanding. So your business can go forward. On the Ohio side of the river, nine months later, you still haven't quite reached out and touched every little solid waste district, water and sewer district, mm -hmm. you know. And it's because of the need in Ohio, the crying need for governance reform, and cooperation and, and, you know, moving forward on this type of stuff, that's where the hidden red tape is. And I think in order to do that, one of the things you got to go back and look at is what Voinovich did with his old regional economic development reps, bringing those back, putting those back in, mm -hmm. in some sort of a charge. And I think to do that, you need to look at what Mitt Romney did mm -hmm. in Massachusetts, where he did, took Doug Foy 
and did much the same thing. Massachusetts, though, is a small state. It wouldn't, right. it yeah, wouldn't work well doing work bringing that here, but those 12 reps, we think, could do something along those lines. In last week, during we talked about uh, John Kasich's campaign ad where he was touting his dad's job as a government worker as being guaranteed yeah. lifelong employment. <laughs> well, change. This, um, mm -hmm. this one he's talking about, he could, the reason why this private development firm would be good because you could pay higher salaries. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of irony there that you're trying to cut government spending, but you can pay more for the private se sector folks. There are, I give him credit for boldness. I mean, mm -hmm. it's about time we had a substantial proposal in this governor's race. Yeah. Uh, there are problems, and he talked about how, how corporations and, and um, CEOs are totally uh, uh, not happy with the development department. I think he should be careful about that because one of the most popular programs with CEOs, labor unions, everybody, is the Third Frontier yeah, program. Right. And he should be he should be worried about tinkering with that program. He wants to. Uh, he'll get some pushback from the business community if he does. But the Third Frontier is viewed nationwide as kind of like on the spectrum again. And so it goes as this thing, as this whole discussion goes forward, the General Assembly will not do anything unconstitutional. They just simply won't. Um, and you're, I think you're going to see this is where the proper, and some of these, they've been going out there for 15 years, okay? Um, and the, the structure of these things, getting the right input on this stuff is going to be very critical as you move forward. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, st to quote Ronald, Lake, Ronald Reagan, status quo is Latin for the mess we're in. <laughs> and you know, to Jefferson said, every now and then you just have a revolution. You just simply shake things up, almost for the pure benefit of shaking things up. All right, Let's, we gotta get to the, our next topic. All death penalty decisions are difficult, but Ted Strickland faces an especially difficult one this week, or this time. This week, the Ohio Parole Board unanimously recommended that Kevin Keith be executed, even though many people publicly worry that his claims of innocence may have merit. Karen Kastler, Ted Strickland, he says, has said he finds this case troubling. He has gone against the parole board in the past. What does he do in this well, one? This is an eight to one decision. This is a unanimous decision. So this is going to be a really tough one. It's the highest profile case that's come before the parole board. You've got uh, the Innocence Project, former Attorney General Republican Jim Petro, not exactly known for being a uh, anti-death penalty ad advocate, who is also supportive of Kevin Keith. So this is going to be a very difficult challenge. He has gone against the parole board before, but boy, to go against an eight to nothing decision during an election year may be a bit of a, a challenge for him, and it's going to be a long weekend for him to try to think about what he's going to do, I think. And this, among the victims, three victims, one was a young girl, four-year-old four girl. girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. so that makes it even more mm -hmm. of a challenge to, to try to figure out what, what uh -huh. to do next. Does the fact that he, Kevin Keith, wanted a full exoneration and a new trial in front of the parole board, did that lead to the eight-to-nothing decision against him, do you think? If he just said, slow down and... I, I don't think so. Off the table. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, uh, the parole board before has recommended, you know, a pardon for, uh, you know, not the death penalty, but clemency and, and life in prison. So, but I think that's obviously the goal of most people who come before the parole board is the full pardon. Yeah. You know, I think there are a number of variables too to add to that, and that the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, all tossed it. They all didn't agree to any appeal in this case at all. And if I'm on the parole board, and, uh, and this is really an unfortunate case to begin with, it really is. On his side, if he's innocent, and most especially on the family that was affected by this. Um, but I think with 
the Supreme Court's decision and the state Supreme Court's decision not to deal with this issue at all, I think that that leans heavily in, in, in whatever the, the parole board wants to do. And this being an election year, to add a little political mm -hmm. touch mm -hmm. to it, a political hint, I mean, it's a big issue to, <laughs> right? <laughs> Politics, right. Oh, wow. well, to have to make that decision is a tough one this year. Is the, Joe, is the middle ground for him to say there's been a lot of calls for a moratorium? Paul Pfeiffer mm -hmm. has asked for a moratorium as a Supreme Court justice. Right. For him to say, okay, I'm not going to decide on this, this specific case, but let's adhere this bipartisan call for a moratorium. Let's do that and take a timeout and look at all these cases. Does that give him some wiggle room? Yeah, it does. I don't know how popular that would be in an election year, but mm -hmm. uh, Ted Strickland has proven his uh, pro-death penalty credentials. I yeah. mean, he's permitted the execution of what at least a dozen people it hasn't mm -hmm. been so uh, the one case where he went against the parole board yeah. he went they wanted clemency and he let the execution go forward mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean there have been questions raised in this one that will give him pause mm -hmm. uh, the parole board said they were fully vetted before the jury but now there's uh, new evidence uh, the defense says that somebody else has come forward and said he was paid to do the crime so mm -hmm. it's a tough one for the governor Okay, let's get to our last topic. There is a campaign ramping up for and against the proposed change to the Columbus City Charter. The change would allow city council to meet privately under certain conditions defined by state law. Supporters say it's needed to conduct negotiations and handle personnel matters. Opponents kicked off their campaign this week saying city council is trying to hide important business from the public. Michael Cole, are you surprised there's organized opposition to this? It's just a charter change. You know, not necessarily. I'm not surprised from a few standpoints. I mean, when you look at natural kind of instinctive, you know, apathy towards government anyway, or distrust, I think is a better word, um, you, you can see uh, somewhat of an opposition. Secondly, I mean, from the years I've run city council campaigns, I've seen that small opposition of usual suspects who come to the table with arguments against some of its leaders. Um, but the key issue here is, as you just stated, that this is merely city government saying that we're actually going to put in our charter, language in our charter, that allows us to abide by Ohio law. You've only got two, what, two cities, Groveport and Columbus, that kind of volunteered mm -hmm. to opt out of this, you know, but because of, I think, the learning experience that city council had in the last appointment with A. Troy Miller and Eileen Paley, the the two council members that kind of jumped up and, you know, balked at that, how that whole process worked, and some community folks who balked at how that process went through, I think that they, they thought about how we, how important it is to kind of move beyond what the Sunshine Laws allow and add this, this frame to our charter. There's been some uh, controversy over the wording of these ballot questions, so let's take a look at the two proposals that are out there. The first one is a bit lengthy. This is the one that's been put forth to the Board of Elections. Shall Section 8 of the Charter of Columbus be amended to permit council or its committees to convene in the same manner as the general law of Ohio pertaining to open meetings of public bodies when discussing issues such as personnel matters, purchase of property, litigation, collective bargaining, and security matters as recommended by the Charter Review Committee. The other one that Republicans on the Board of Elections recommend, much shorter. Shall the proposed charter amendments as recommended by the Review Committee be adopted? And neither one of these say exactly what it would do. I yeah. mean, you have to know mm -hmm. the background to understand yeah. what either of these do. And that's the first one's a little more clear. Well, but it still doesn't say that the closed door meetings yeah. issue. And the, mm -hmm. the, on these topics, yeah. we could close the doors on the meetings. And yeah. that's 
the real issue for most people, and it's not ever spelled out. And I think that's very frustrating for people who feel like they're coming in to try to, to get involved here. I mean, you had the situation out in California where a charter change allowed some city officials to make $800,000 a year. Mm -hmm. People are very suspicious, yeah. and these kind of issues make them a little squeamish, and they make reporters very squeamish, too. Well, bringing the charter in line with state law is not exactly an admirable standard, in my view, <laughs> uh, based on our own newspaper's difficulty in getting access to records and getting uh, access to meetings and so forth. We get stonewalled far too often. So I would, uh, I would uh, uh, augur in support of openness on this one. And I pile on here for a moment now. Um, there are two other factors, too. One is the fact that effe effectively this is the only way you make it on the city council is now to get appointed. They don't want to hide the process. And we were all in junior high. We all hated the cool kids who all, you know, passed notes to each other and all had those little secret meetings <laughs> and stuff. We were all excluded. This is just another example of the cool kids <laughs> on city council excluding everybody else, and everybody else is kind of going, we don't like it. All the Democrats are cool kids. You heard it. Let's get to our off-the-record parting shots. Gene Krebs, you're up first. Um, once again, I think that, um, and it came up a little bit here, that when I was last on, I said that governance reform is going to become an emerging issue. Three days later, the New York Times put out an article about how in um, half dozen states, indeed, governance reform abolishment of counties in Iowa has been proposed as a way to meet their budgetary crisis. And um, it's going to continue to percolate through here in Ohio. They've got, they've got no choice but to look at this. Michael. Budget, taxes, income revenue increase for the state. I think that uh, that's going to be the big conversation in the months to come and certainly the following year to proceed um, and where folks have the confidence and conviction um, to make a decision on that will be the telltale of public leadership here in the state. Karen. Well, there's a real concern, I think, for this idea of public's right to know. I mean, this issue of city council, you've got uh, the Kasich Development Department plan could restrict some access to public records. There's a uh, state senator who's proposed an idea that would eliminate uh, criminal records being published in the paper. There was uh, the dispatches article about pension funds. There's a lot of issues with regard to transparency and public records, and people should be a little bit concerned. Joe, real quick, 15 The seconds. Republican wave is real. They will win the four seats necessary to take control of the Ohio House and the 39 seats necessary to take care of the U.S. House. Interesting. But that is Columbus on the Record for this week. We urge you to check us out online. We are on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. Been doing pretty good on my Twittering. Is that what you call it? You can connect to all of that at our website, WOSU.org. For our crew, for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.